Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. It's a privilege, it's an honor to be able to look into a copy of God's message to man. Isn't it amazing to think that God has written us a letter to help us understand who he is, who we are, who this, what this world is about, and how we can relate to him, to others, and to the world around us, and, and, to, and to balance all of this in a healthy way. And, and no greater time in the course of our history do I believe that we need the sure and accurate guidance of the word of God, that we need a message from God to help us discern the things that are going on. If we were left to our own devices in this world, we could easily look and, and come to the, the, to the wrong conclusion that God is absent or somehow divorced himself from the affairs of things going on when we see people hurting and we see uh, the political systems in turmoil and, and residents uneasy and turning upon one another and we could say, where is God in the midst of all of this? If we didn't know that in the latter days things will grow worse and worse, we would be expecting that at some point there, that God must have abandoned the ship. But we have a copy of the word of God and we can look at that and understand that we serve not a God who is absent, but a God who is purposeful. A God who can take the things that are going on in the world and even orchestrate those things to bring glory to himself. And I I absolutely love the music we sang this morning. How amazingly appropriate for not only the day that we live in, the times that we live in, but the message that the church needs to hear. Jesus is strong and kind, and we can run to him. I, I absolutely love singing that song. Or, the glory of the Lord fills the earth. You think about that. The glory of the Lord fills the earth. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. Or we could say, living hope, where is that? When you think about the glory of of God filling the earth, what comes to your mind first of all? What is the first thing that you would say if I say, well, prove to me that the glory of God fills the earth? You might point to the harvest or to his creation in some aspect, to the the order of the planets of the... floating around in space in, in, a, in a distinguished and, and precise order. You could say that. But as you focus in on earth, how does the glory of God fill the earth? Today that question is definitively answered by the Apostle Paul in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And perhaps not in the way that you're thinking, or the, uh, the first way that would come to mind when we think of how would God's glory fill the earth, but in in excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we see the Apostle Paul explaining and answering the question that everyone has. We have a lot of questions in this world today. In fact, I wrote down a few of mine. Why do bad people always seem to get away with everything? Why do strong people oftentimes pick on weak people? 
why do many people secretly criticize other people? Does life have a purpose? Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here and where am I going? What happens when I die? Should I fear the future? Should I fear today? What is truth, really? Does God exist and is he active in the world? And if so, why are there so many problems? What is love? What is the purpose of war? If food is more important than entertainment, then why do entertainers make more money than servers at restaurants? I think I stole that from somebody. That's still my question. If our government is, is our government supposed to protect us or oppress us? Why is it easier to remember the details of bad things in our lives than good things? I still wonder that. This is one for the young people. If good grades in school are so important to our future, then why don't the teachers just give everyone a good grade? I hear that amen in your heart. Does God have a purpose in human suffering? We talked about that last week. We talked about being established and encouraged. And the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians was wondering, how do we, you know, they were wondering, how do we get on in this life when there's so many problems? And Paul was afraid that their faith would would be challenged in a negative way and they would be neutralized in their ministry of the gospel. And so he explained to them, hey, there's a purpose in suffering. You need to be established and encouraged in your faith and, and so that you can continue to propagate the gospel. We talked about nine reasons why God allows suffering into the world. And we could, we could ultimately come to the point when we look at suffering and problems and come to four, four general statements. And I shared these last week. They bear repeating today. When we look at the face of suffering and why does good seem to be um, punished in this world and why do bad things happen to seemingly good people, there's only four choices we can come to. There is no God, which we know that's not true. There is a God, but he doesn't care, so he's an uncaring God. There's a God who cares, but he has no power to do anything about it. That's a God who is impotent or, or not unpowerful or weak. Or there's a God who not only can see what we, we're going through and knows about it and cares about it, but he has a purpose in it. And we understand that that is really the only logical conclusion. It's a biblical conclusion about why there's pain and suffering in the world. And if you, if you think, well, this is so simple, Mark, why do we need to continue to talk about it? I'll tell you this, because the Bible continues to talk about it. Because we walk out of here and we face a world that is disillusioned with the idea of God and truth and Jesus and salvation and the gospel because they don't understand why there's so many bad things going on. And believers need to be equipped to be able to share those answers with those in the community and those in our country and those in the world. That's what missionaries are doing, bringing a a lens, a biblical lens, a biblical worldview to, to life and the things that are going on. Truthfully, this is the only thing, Scripture, that explains the difficulties going on in our own lives in the world today. It's the only, it's the only view that's consistent. It's consistent because it's truth. But really, it, it's also an effective way to witness. The Apostle Paul was making this point in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In fact, the entire book of 2 Corinthians is Paul's defense of his apostleship when he didn't look like an apostle living in a world that didn't look like Jesus was active because everyone that said they believed were suffering horrific things. 
And if you think we're divorced from that time, sit down, hold on, because I think even in our own country, in our own world, we're going to see a rising escalation and, and, and push against the gospel and against Christ's followers. We're going to see more persecution. And I think we need to be armed as believers to know how to respond to that. Definitely, at the very least, to, to, to internalize in our own heart and mind how and why when we struggle with things that God has a purpose in them. In fact, the um, just turn back to chapter 1 for a second in 2 Corinthians 1. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, God, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with a comfort by which we ourselves are comforted by God. For the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. That's a lot of comfort going back and forth. The bottom line, Paul says, all of us suffer trials and tribulations. When we are comforted by others, we in turn learn how to comfort other people who go through this. And so there's a benefit you see right away that God uses the trials in your life to bring about a benefit to those around you. You can reach out to families around you. You can share comfort, truth, light, a living hope, love, grace, all of the things that those going through trials need. And so Paul not only defends his apostleship, but he really gives us an amazing picture of why God allows trials in our life. This is number 10. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's set the stage here. He's talking about the gospel being hidden from those that are unbelieving. But I, I want to set this, this up. Verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, do not lose heart. We have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but my manifestation of the truth commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul's simply defending his motives in ministry. Excuse me, his motives in ministry. We're not tricking people with the gospel. This isn't some, this isn't some spiritual judo where we turn people's you know, emotions around and, and trick them into trusting Jesus. He says we handle this truthfully in what it is. This is the word of God and we commend it to you. It's centered around the gospel that Christ died for our sins, rose again, that by believing in him we can have the gift of eternal life. We can have a living hope, a present hope, and a present joy in the face of anything that comes to us. And the question is, that's, that's raised here, look at verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the, key word, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. He says there are people out there in the world whom the God of this age has blinded the minds, lest they should, lest they should believe or see that light that hope in the gospel. And so de the deception that goes on in the world, the reason people cannot see the gospel, the reason people cannot see the light, is because the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. The God of this age, that's a little g, that is Satan, 
He is the God of this age. He is the deceiver. He's the one who wants to keep the gospel from people. The question then becomes, so how, does the God, how, do, how do unbelievers see the gospel? How do they see the light in the lives of believers when it's a difficulty goes on? And that's a legitimate question. How does, how does an unbeliever see Christ in Living Hope Church when we're suffering? How, does, how do unbelievers see the light of the gospel in the lives of people in a world that's hurting and it's turned against God, it's turned against the Bible, it's turned against Christ, and other religions are lifted up higher? How is that light seen? He answers that question definitively. The Apostle Paul saw this in his own life. He's making that defense before the Corinthians. They're wondering, where's the light of this gospel when life is so bad? And this is where he goes into the explanation. In um, He says in verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but, yeah, of course we don't. <laughs> I'm going to preach myself. That's like me selling a hair tonic to turn your hair dark, you know. Would you, would you buy that from me? Of course, it's not working well for you, Mark. Um, why would I want that? And it, the same thing is true when you say, well, hey, you know what? Trust Jesus and all the problems in life will go away. <laughs> yeah, it's not working so good for you, is it? You know, there, of course, there's a, there's, we're, we're, we're segmenting, uh, you know, what Christ offers from the benefits. And so Paul answers this question. Verse 6, for it is a God Hold on to your seats, for it is a God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul says, listen, the, the, the same God who called, called light out of darkness, we're, we're going back to Genesis 1, verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. The same God who called light out of the darkness has caused the light of God, the light to shine out of your life. He has placed that deposit in your heart via the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. Hold on to that thought for a second because he's going to develop it. The light of the gospel the light of the truth, the light of the working of God, the God who called light out of darkness, is now shining in your life. He has deposited that into the vessel that you have as a believer. If you're here today and you're a believer of Christ, there is a light that has been deposited into you, the light of the gospel, the light of the glory of God. The glory of God that fills the earth. The glory of God has been deposited not into the world, but into you, into people. Well, that's nice. How do they see that? I don't, when I walk into a dark room, I'm still, it's still dark, right? I mean, the thought is, well, if that light's in us, how does it get out of us? And we think about that. How does the light of the gospel get out of us that God has deposited in us through the gospel? And it's through touching people's lives. We're close, we're, we're touching their lives and we're, we're interacting with them. But there's another way that that light gets out as well. And he develops that through the rest of this chapter. In fact, really through the rest of the book of, of 2 Corinthians. Does God have a purpose in human suffering? And the answer 
definitively is absolutely. Absolutely he does. But in this world, everyone has problems. But for the believer, problems happen to show others that life is about God and not about us. In this world, everyone has problems. But for the believer, those problems show that this life is not about us. It's about God. And we are given that knowledge of God's glory through Jesus. That's what verse 6 is saying. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You have that light of Christ in us, in you. I believe Paul is probably thinking about the Damascus Road conversion here in Acts 9. I'm guessing when that light shone and he saw that light as Jesus Christ, he's thinking back that that light is now in me. But look in verse 7. Here's the problem. But we have this treasure. What treasure is? That's the light. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. The problem is that this light is contained in an earthen vessel. Don't you love what Paul calls the body? A a clay pot. A jar. You ever think of yourself as a jar? That's what, I mean, later he, in in fact, in the next chapter, he calls his body a, a tent, a temporary dwelling. But you're like a jar. I'm a jar. We spend a lot of time on our jars, don't we? You ever think about that? We spend a lot of time on our jars. Some people abuse their jars. That's why I limp. I've abused my jar. We paint them. We polish them. We decorate them with clothes and jewelry. We even buy fancy lids for our jars. We like it when people compliment us on our jar. You have a nice looking jar. And we work a lot with the hair of our jar. We fill them with good things. What are you filling your jar with this morning? Bacon. No, I didn't. Toast. We fill them with bad things. We strengthen our jars with exercise. We envy the jars of others. Some people get so mad that they break the jars of other people. Some people judge others by how big or how little their jar is. Some people judge others by what they put in their jar. Some people like to show off their jars and some people lust over other jars. We spend a lot of money on fixing our jars. We buy insurance so that if something happens to our jar, we can get it working again. We also buy insurance so that if our jar uh, breaks, someone gets money. Over time, something happens, though. 
through life, that jar begins to develop a chip here, a little crack there. The jar begins to break down. That's what Paul's talking about. The trials of life, the trials of being a believer, the trials of having that treasure, the treasure of the light of the gospel in an earthen vessel, is that somehow that vessel begins to crack from just being knocked around in life. What happens when the jar begins to crack and the light's inside of it? That light that is the glory of God in the face of Jesus, what what happens to the light? It, It doesn't, it's not extinguished. It starts to shine through the cracks in the jar. Look at what Paul says. We are hard-pressed on every side and yet not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not forsaken. We are struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body, in our jar, the dying of the Lord Jesus. Here it is, that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. There it is. Do you see it? We go through life and God deposits the glory of the knowledge of of the gospel in the face of Jesus into our lives. We have an intimate relation with Jesus, the one who is strong and kind, the one we can run to. And we run to him and and our jar is cracked and the light is spilling out and the glory of God fills the earth. And we think, God, why do you allow me to have trials? Because I am determined that my glory will fill this earth. That's why. We are joining in God's his, his program of filling the earth with his glory. Isn't that beautiful to think about? It's not beautiful to go through. We don't like trials. We don't like problems. We want to keep the pot together. In fact, sometimes we cover up those cracks so nobody can see them because we don't have a culture or, or cultivate a culture in which it's so permissible to show cracks. Like, How are you doing? Perfect. Doing great. Everything's good in my life. Everything's wonderful. We pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. Why? Because God's blessing me, that's why. And Paul says, yeah, he's blessing me too. And I got light spilling everywhere. It's pouring out of me. But it could be worse. And, and, and I love the picture that God gives us in the face of trials. That I will, I will fill the earth with my glory in what the world calls hurt and pain and confusion, I call the glory of God being spread and the light of the gospel coming into the world. There is nothing more powerful than the testimony of a believer who stands firm in the face of adversity and says, you know what, God is glorifying himself through me. And the light of the gospel is, is going on in my life. The one who's committed to say, you know what, this is a beautiful thing. And I'm telling you what, I know that so many of you my wife bought, bought bifocals for me so I wouldn't keep doing this. Okay, I'm done. Okay, I can see you. Okay, if I look down like that. Um, there, I know that so many of you have had, have had personal losses. There are some that have lost parents. There are some that have lost a very, very close friend in the, just in the last few hours. There's others that have lost siblings or children even 
And sometimes we wonder, where is God in the midst of this? And, and we cling on to something that we can believe and hold on to. I want to tell you something on the authority of God's word that every loss that you have suffered, where that person has died and that jar has broken, that light has escaped, that the glory of God is filling the earth and he is glorified. I can tell you that on the authority of 2 Corinthians 4. Paul has this in perspective. He knows exactly what's going on. He, the pr- trials and problems aren't a curse, they're a blessing. They are truly a blessing because the power and light of the gospel goes forth. It's about him, not about us. Because we simply have this in a clay jar. And this clay jar, yep, one day this clay jar will be resurrected and made new and every joint will be put back together. And I am convinced, though, just like the scars on the hands of Jesus and in the side that we will see the scars and cracks that we bear as a testimony, not to how we were hurt, but to how God heals and how he resurrects. I absolutely believe that, that in eternity, those broken hearts will be seen, not as a a time when you were hurt, but a time when God was, was healing you and putting you back together. The Apostle Paul shows one in the purpose here that God's ability to limit, trials show God's ability to limit what could be, what could be. I was hard-pressed, but I wasn't crushed. I was perplexed, but I wasn't in despair. I was persecuted, but I wasn't forsaken. I was struck down, but I wasn't destroyed. You know the theology, it could have been worse, is actually biblical. How you doing? Well, I've been through the war and back, but it could have been worse. That's biblical theology. That's true. That's what Paul's saying. It could have been worse. I think God, you know, we we come to the end of our limits, but God never comes to the end of his resources. We may come to the end of our limits. I can't handle this anymore. But don't think that because you've come to the end that God has, because he hasn't. His resources continue on and on and on. And Paul is saying that. It could have been it could have been worse. Number two, trials show the temporary nature of our body and the eternal nature of God. Trials show the temporary nature of our body and the eternal nature of God. And just back up in verse seven that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's a temporary nature of our body. When I say temporary, I'm not talking about that there is no resurrection. There is a resurrection of the body. But in the body, in the form as we have it right now, we understand the jar is wearing out. And one day it will return to the, to the earth from where it came. And God will resurrect that body one day and make that body new and complete. The part of you that thinks, knows, love, hopes, dreams, and has faith and belief and touches and feels and experiences will live on continuously. It doesn't come to life at resurrection. It translates from life into, into, into eternal life. But our body will be resurrected as well. But trials are showing us that there's a temporary nature to the body that you have now. The body that you exist in now. It's temporary. And the older you get, you guys already know that. The things are wearing out. And one day the, the pot will break and the light will escape. But in the meantime, God is using the light escaping from your body as a, as a way to bring glory and for his glory to fill this earth. Humility is a 
is a power is powerful because it points to God's power at work in us. And it's it's humbling to, to know that the excellence of the power of God is is in Him, and, and not of not of us. It's not from us. It doesn't derive from us. The the power in the Christian life comes from the deposit that's given to you in your body through the Holy Spirit. It's His power. Number three, trials point to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let's look at verse uh, verse ten always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. Wait a second. The resurrected life of Jesus, the life of Jesus is manifest. Yeah, because the, the gospel, the gospel gives us a living hope. You guys already know that. You have a church named after it. We have a living hope. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And what's deposited into you is not the spirit of the dead Jesus, it's the spirit of the live Jesus. Paul says, daily I experience the dying of Jesus. I'm persecuted. I have trials. I'm forsaken. Daily I experience the dying of Jesus for a purpose. The purpose is, is that the life of Jesus can be manifest in our body. So here it is. When you're suffering trials, your crack is opening up and the light's coming out. Okay? People are saying, Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's alive. How do you, how do you deal with that? Because Jesus is alive. The, the hope of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, is, is seen through the trials in our lives. Oh, Christ builds it. Why is it that believers constantly are able to say, we have a perspective that takes us from this world to the next? That's a daily hope. This is not a future thing. That's today. You have the resurrected life of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, that's Jesus. And that life is, is displayed through brokenness, humility, and trials that happen to our bodies. Death and suffering is certainly a result of sin in the garden, but Christ came as a remedy for that sin. And this trial points to Christ's work. It points to his death. It points to his suffering. But it also points to the purpose in that suffering to be raised, to, to pay the debt, but also to be raised and to be raised to, to a resurrected life and to give us a living hope, to give us his life. Our response shows its Shows his resurrection. Number four, when the body breaks, the light escapes. Verse 11, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. You know, young people, it's hard to take a stand for Jesus in school. You know, in our lives, we, we proclaim Jesus' death when we, um, when we suffer. But it, it shows his life as well. We may proclaim his death, but it shows his life. And when you, when you take a stand for Jesus in school, when you take a stand for Jesus in this community, you can, you can expect, in fact, you, you write it down right now, if I take a stand for Jesus, I'm going to suffer ridicule and persecution. You can almost count on that. Oh, you're taking that a little too far, maybe. Really. 
Is, is that really too far? How far do we take? How far do we take standing firm for Jesus in the Word of God in school, in the community where we work, or wherever we go? How far can we take that? Can we ever take it too far? The answer is no. We don't take it too far. We become depositories of the Spirit of Christ in, in, in through the gospel. And that light begins to shine. People begin to see that Jesus is real. He's just not part of a religion that we've always adhered to, and therefore we just keep doing the same things over and over because generation after generation have done that, and we can make grandma and grandpa and mom and dad happy or whatever. No, we, God is a, it's a relationship between you and God through Jesus, between each one of you. It's not about our parents. It's not about... Our children, it's about each individual before God. And we make that choice. We say, you know what, I choose to stand. And you know, the world can ridicule me. That's fine. Take your best shot. Knock another crack in me and let the gospel come out even more. And don't you love that, that God continues to defend those that are his? When the body breaks, the light escapes. Trials number five are also good for others. This is, we're going to stop right here. Trials are good for others. Look at verse 12. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. Paul says, death is working in us. We're having a lot of trials and persecutions. What is the effect on other people? Life. 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 Death is working in us, life in you. So when you experience trials and persecution, when you experience suffering, that, that may spell the, the, the death for you, but it is producing life in other people. That's nothing short of the gospel itself, that the death of Jesus Christ provided life to others. And Paul says, the suffering and death of myself produces life and light and hope for other people. No man, no man needs to fear the years for they bring him nearer not to death but to God the light of hope shines through the gaping holes of hurt for those of you that have suffered and are suffering I want you to understand this that the glory of God is filling the earth it's filling your homes it's filling the community it's filling your hearts and it's a testimony to those whose Light has been blinded by the God of this age. May we have a powerful testimony of a steadfast living hope and faith to those in our midst. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. Lord, in the face of a a world that is upside down, your word is true and right and straight, and we need to cling to it by faith. Help us, Father, to worship you, to sing praises for Jesus and let the, the light of the gospel come through our lips, through the, through the praise of our lips now as we close our time together. I bless this church, its pastor, family, care for it in a special way, and glorify yourself as you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. 
We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care, and God bless.